Hey guys, welcome to the C1 Church Podcast. I pray that this message encourages you, builds your faith, and helps you go after Jesus. If you'd like more information about C1 Church, please go to our website at c1.church. Enjoy the message and be blessed. I don't know what each of us are going through, but let's just individually, let's, let's just invite the Holy Spirit. Jesus. I bind every wall that is set up around a stony heart in the name of Jesus. And Father, I just ask that you will do a work that only you can do. address things that you care enough to move forward in things that you care enough to say no 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 just pause what I really feel is I feel like we, we just need to take take a moment right now and just and just ask the Lord to search our hearts. I, th- I think I think some of us are wrestling with some stuff that we actually need to give to God and ask God to forgive us of. I, I, I really do. And and I, 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 once again, I can't pray that prayer for you. But I just want to take a moment to say, God, search me. You know me. Let's just thank the Lord. Just thank him. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for your sweet presence. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you because you care enough to address things. Thank you that, that, that you are a God that's faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thank you, God, that you rectify mindsets that you transform us and you change the way we think. Thank 
you. God, thank you. Guys, I, I don't know if you feel it, but I feel a shift. God's here. God's here. Father, I just pray right now for peace. Peace right now over troubled minds. Right now, in the name of Jesus. Right now, in the name of Jesus, I pray right now for peace. I pray for joy over depression right now, in the name of Jesus. I pray for abundance over lack right now, in the name of Jesus. Anything that might rob us. Satan, I'm, I, you are a thief. You're a liar. And I just rebuke every lie that you've set up in our minds. I rebuke every every false narrative that have played out in people's minds this week. And even this morning, I rebuke them in the name of Jesus. You come to still kill and destroy, but the Son comes to give life and give it to the full. So I call you on it and I say, no more. No more. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I thank you, Father, because you are good because you are faithful, because you are more than enough. I thank you for the peace that has entered this room. I thank you, Father, for the presence, your presence. That, Lord, your word says perfect love dries out all fear. Your, your love, your, your presence drives out fear. It drives out false narrative. It drives out lies. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you. We worship you in the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Maybe seated. I love you guys. I love you guys. Today, we're going to wrap up our mini standalone message series on Gideon. Um, if, if you're new with us, my name's Ryan, my wife and I, we're the lead pastors here at C1, and um, we, are, we, we are so excited. I think any day that we can gather together as a church, as the body of Christ, and lift up the name of Jesus is a good day. So if you're, if you're in Pastor Ben's life group on Monday mornings at meet at um, the lobby of Destiny Church downtown, that's a good day. If you're in our life group that's going to meet later today, that's a good day. Like, it's a good day when we gather together and lift up Jesus. And even if you're alone, it's a good day to lift up Jesus. Is there, never, is there ever a bad day to lift up the name of Jesus? No. I find that when we celebrate Jesus, it fixes our eyes on who he is and not on what we're going through. It fixes our eyes on the conquering king and not on the what the enemy's trying to conquer us with, right? So today we're, we're going to be going into Judges chapter 7. And it's not as many verses this week, but we are going to look at the whole chapter. And last week we, we talked about how God, when he... When, when the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, they cried out to God for help because the Midianites would come in and they weren't trying, get this, the Midianites weren't trying to kill the Israelites. They wanted to starve them. They wanted to oppress them. They wanted the Israelites to do all the work and then they take all the resources. And, and, and that's what the enemy does. He's a thief. John 10.10 says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And that's what the Midianites were doing to the Israelites. Some of the things that the enemy's coming at you with, he's not trying to kill you. He's trying to steal from you. He's trying to steal your joy, your peace. He's trying to steal your resources, your finances. He's coming at you to not kill you, but to keep you oppressed. And, and enough is enough. And, the, and, and God loves us enough because really the Midianites, if you recall, they were just the overflow. They were, they were the fruit of the real issue, which was idolatry. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They worshipped Baal and Asherah, false gods. They worshipped other gods. God's top three commandments in his top ten are about worshiping him alone. 
And so God allowed the Midianites to come in. And then they cried out to the Lord, and the Lord heard them in their oppression. And so if you recall, you're never too oppressed to cry out to God. God heard them, and then what did he do? He sent a prophet to address the real issue. He addressed the idolatry that was causing the oppression. We so often want God to deal with the fruit of the root. But God is only interested in dealing with the root. Because when you deal with the root, it kills the fruit. And God dealt with the root of the problem. But he, he loves us enough to also, after he deals with the root, to say, okay, I'm going to take out the fruit too. Because you could cut up, uh, you know, you could cut the roots of a tree out, but it'll take time to kill the leaves. You know what I'm saying? Like, have you ever cut down a tree? How it took like weeks for all those leaves and and the fruit to actually fall off the tree and die, right? Even though that tree was cut off from its source, and and that's what we're gonna see today. We're gonna see that God cut the tree down. He cut he cut the idolatry off in Israel. Last week, he dealt with the root, but then he was like, I don't want to leave a lingering fruit. I'm going to go ahead and deal with that because I love you. And so we jump into Josh, uh, Judges chapter 7. And we're going to read it together. You actually don't have to read it. I'm going to read it to you. I'm going to do my best anyways. This Arkansas boy. So Jerubbabel, that is Gideon, remember he got that name when he tore down the altar to Bel, and the name means let Bel defend himself, and he never did. So it's actually a, a beautiful testimony to the fact that Gideon stood up and tore down the altar to Bel. So, um, and his army got up early and went as far as the spring of Herod. The armies of Midian were camped north of them in the valley near the hill of Mori. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many warriors with you. If I, <laughs> That is not something you want to hear when you're going into battle, right? Like, I think, I don't care if you're, I, I don't care how big your army is, you could always need more warriors, I don't care if you outnumber the enemy 10 to 1. 20 to 1 sounds better, right? Um, but God is like, no, you have too many warriors with you. Because if you recall, what did God tell Gideon in the last chapter? Mighty warrior. He called him a mighty warrior. And then he says, um, he says, go in the strength you have. Like Gideon is picturing himself as weak. He's like, I'm the least. My clan is the least in the tribe. My tribe is the least in the nation. I'm the least in my family. All these things and, and Gideon. And, and, and the Lord says, go in the strength you have. For I am with you. He says, you will defeat the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. Because quite, quite frankly, Gideon could have went out and battled him himself and God would have brought victory. Because that's, that's what God said. He says, if I let you... If I let all of you fight the Midianites, Israelites will boast to me that they saved themselves by their own strength. I want you to understand, he only had 32,000 soldiers. He was fighting against 140,000, 145,000 plus. 32,000 against 145,000. He was outnumbered roughly 5 to 1. Is it possible... That 32,000 defeat 145,000? Yes, it is possible. Is it likely? No. But God wasn't taking any chances. Because God said, I will bring the victory, but you have to fight. And so God is saying, you have too many warriors. You have only have 32,000. Gideon's thinking, I'm outnumbered 5 to 1. They have an army of 145,000 plus. They have, it says that the camels they had, they had cavalry. The camels that they had were as numerous as a sand. I mean, like, and, and, and I, I can only imagine what Gideon's thinking, but you know what? He threw out the fleece the week before, and he's like, okay, let's do this. 
And so God says, therefore, tell the people, whoever is timid or afraid may leave this mountain and go home. On the cusp of battle, he's saying an invitation. No judgment, no judgment. We're not going to take notes. We're not going to harass your family. Genuinely, if you are timid or afraid, you can go home. And 22,000 step forward. So he's down to 10,000. 10,000 against 145,000 plus. Those are good odds if you're a Spartan, according to 300, a movie which I've never seen. Um, just joking. Therefore, tell the people, whoever is timid or afraid may leave this mountain and go home. So 22,000 of them went home, leaving only 10,000 who were willing to fight. 10,000. But the Lord told Gideon, there are still too many. Like, what, what? What? Have you ever, have you ever had that conversation with God? You're like, what? I have. The Lord tells you to do something. You're like, wait, what? what? Can, can, you, can you say that again? I've had that conversation a lot. Like, on personal things, like, um, hey, I, I want you to be a lead pastor. Like, what? No, 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 no. I, I like youth ministry. Um, uh, or I, I want you to go tell that person that I love them and that I see them and that they don't need to commit suicide tonight. Like, wait, what? I don't know that person, God, but I do. But God, what do I have to lose? All right, I'm going to go. And so I walk up to them and start talking to them, and then all of a sudden they give their heart to Jesus. Like, what? It's almost like God knows what he's doing. There are still too many. Bring them down to the spring, and I will give them a test to determine who will go with you and who will not. When Gideon took his warriors down to the water, the Lord told him, Divide the, the men into two groups. And one group put all those who cup water in their hands and lap it up with their tongues like dogs. And the other group put all those who kneel down and drink with their mouths in the stream. Only 300 of them drank from their hands. All the others got down on their knees and drank with their mouths in the stream. The Lord told Gideon, with these 300 men, I will rescue you and give you victory over the Midianites. Send all the others home. God knocked it down by 20,000, then he knocked it down by 9,700. I would have been looking at the two groups like, God, I think you need to send the 300 home. <laughs> right? Because that makes logical sense. So Gideon collected the provision and the ram's horns of the other warriors and sent them home. But he kept the 300 men with him. The Midianite camp was in the valley just below Gideon. That night, like, do you see a pattern here? The Lord said, the Lord said, the Lord said. And what did Gideon do? He did what the Lord said. Get up. Go down to the Midianite camp, for I have given you victory over them. Like, God wanted, it almost reads, when you read this, it almost reads as if God was like, just go attack them. I've already given you victory. Just go do it. But here's the cool thing about God I want you to see. God makes provision for our humanity. When he calls us, he knows our weaknesses, and he makes provision for that. And He didn't remove the call of God from Gideon's life, but he says, but if you are afraid to attack... So he's saying, get up, go attack them. But if you're afraid to attack, I've actually 
I got something for you. Because Gideon, he's doing what the Lord told him. He's down from 32,000. The Lord cut his army. 31,700 people. He's down to 300. You would say, this guy's walking by faith. And if the Lord tells him to go attack, just go attack. But the Lord still understands Gideon and his proclivity and his weaknesses. And, and, and if you read the last chapter, the end of the last chapter, Gideon needed proof. He's like, God, I know. I know like you burned up the sacrifice I made you. Um, you were with me and all this stuff. But he's still throughout the fleece. And God's saying, okay, I, I see your patterns. And, and I'm not going to make you ask for proof, but I'm going to. I'm going to throw you a bone because God is a good God and he knows how we need to move forward to give us assurance. He doesn't always do this, but here, here he does. But if you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant, Pura. I, I, I think it's so interesting that God is telling two men, I would be much, I would be much more willing to go with 300 men than two, but God's saying, you and your servant go down to a camp of 145,000 plus. Listen to what the Midianites are saying, and you will be greatly encouraged, because God likes to encourage. Then you will be eager to attack. Imagine Gideon sitting there, and God's wanting him to attack, but he's not attacking. And so here's the thing. God... God wants us eager to do what he's told us to do. He does not want us reluctant. He wants, to, he, he wants to instill in us a spring in our step, an excitement. It is exciting to share the gospel. It's exciting to pray with people. It's exciting to walk the faith journey out with people who are far from God. And, and God doesn't want us to be like, oh, I have to do it again. God wants us to be excited to do the will of the Father. And so he says, so Gideon took Pura and went down to the edge of the enemy camp. The armies of Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east had settled in the valley like a swarm of locusts. Their camels were like grains of sand on the seashore. Too many to count. Gideon crept up as a man was telling his companion about a dream. The man said, I had this dream, and in my dream, a loaf of barley bread came tumbling down into the Midianite camp. It hit a tent, turned it over, and knocked it flat. His companion answered, your dream can mean only one thing. God has given Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelites, victory over Midian and all its allies. You want to talk about coincidence. With God, there are no coincidences. God knew exactly what they were talking, and God had them talking at the right time to the right people so Gideon could hear I mean, like, there are no coincidences with God because he's sovereign. And, and think about this. Think about what the other soldier said. That can mean only one thing. Seriously? I could probably think of ten things that can mean. Like, dude, you ate some bad pizza the day before. Like, that is crazy. Like, go back to bed. It is late. You know, like, there could... No, but God had this soldier talking to the right soldier at the right time for Gideon to hear it at the right time to do what God told him to do. Because there are no coincidences. When Gideon heard the dream and his interpretation, he bowed and worshiped before the Lord. Then he returned to the Israelite camp and shouted, Get up! For the Lord has given you victory over the Midianite hordes. Like, you see that excitement? God knows how to get us excited to do what he called us to do. He divided the 300 men into three groups and gave each of them a ram's horn and a clay jar with a torch in it. He did not give them one weapon because God gets the victory. Then he said to them, keep your eyes on me. When I come to the edge of the camp, do just as I do. As soon as I... Um, as soon as I and those with me blow the ram's horns, blow your horns too all around the entire camp and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. 
It was just after midnight, after the changing of the guard, when Gideon and the 100 with him reached the edge of the Midianite camp. Suddenly they blew the ram's horns, broke their clay jars. Then all three groups blew their horns and broke their jars. They held a blazing torch in their left hands and the horns in their right hands. And they all shouted a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Each man stood as his at his position around the camp and watched as the Midianites rushed around in panic, shouting as they ran to escape. When the 300 Israelites blew the ram's horns, the Lord caused the warriors in the camp to fight each other with their swords, and those who were not killed fled to places as far as, I'm not going to say that word, near Zeruiah and to the border of Abel, Menhola, near Tabith. Then Gideon sent for the warriors of Naphtali, Asher, and Manasseh, who joined the chasing of the army of Midian. Gideon also sent messengers throughout the hill country of Ephraim, saying, Come down and attack the Midianites. Cut them off at the shallow crossings of the Jordan River. At Beth Bera. So all the men of Ephraim did as they were told. They captured Oreb and Zeb, the two Midianite commanders, killing Oreb at the rock of Oreb and Zeb at the winepress of Zeb as they continued to chase the Midianites. Afterwards, the Israelites brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon, who was by the Jordan River. It's kind of interesting. What the Lord did. If you, if you continue to read, and it's a cool story, keep, keep going. Read Judges 8 and 9. But in that moment, the Lord killed 120,000 people in camp. And so suddenly, 300 wasn't up against 145,000. They had about 25,000 left. And then all the other tribes in the area started descending on it. But I want I want to give you I want to give you one thought today, one thought. God's strategy is different than ours. That's it. Let's pray. Let's go home. Like, really? That's it, Ryan? That is literally duh. Oh my gosh. I can't believe that this point is so elementary. It's so fundamental. What I've discovered about fundamentals is that the things that you take for granted, you forget about. Anyone married ever taken their spouse for granted and it caused tension in your relationship? Because this is elementary. And it's easy to take this for granted. We know God thinks differently than us. But I think it's the things that we know so well that are actually the most profound that we need to think about the most. God's strategy is different than ours. And we need to think through the lens of God the best we can when we look at our problems. Because some of us are going through things that we think are setbacks, and how God sees it, he does not see your setback as a setback. He sees it as a set up. He's setting you up for something. He's setting you up for success. He's setting you up. And, and so instead of what, we, what I tend to do, I can't say for you, but sometimes when we go through things that seem to be setbacks, we kind of complain and bellyache about it instead of looking at it differently and saying, okay, what lesson do I need to learn here so I can see the way God wants me to see, so I can see the setup? So what you think is, is a setback or, or what you think is a burden right now in a year or in five years, you're going to look back and actually be able to see the blessing in what you would call a burden. Because God's strategy is different than our strategy. And if we lose sight of that, it's real easy to get caught up 
on how we think things should go down. Because Gideon, the Lord gave, gave him an assignment. Go defeat the Midianites. So in Gideon's mind, he started doing what any of us would do. He started raising an army because there was an army. He was trying to meet force with force because that is man's strategy. But if, we, if God gives us a divine assignment, it's going to take a divine strategy. If God gives you and he has a supernatural assignment, which is preach the gospel, which is share the gospel, that's a supernatural thing because it brings life to death. It changes people. It makes them born again. It, 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 it kills their old person and brings a new life. That's a supernatural strategy. So what does God do? He gives us a, or a supernatural assignment. So God gives a supernatural strategy. And God gave Gideon a supernatural assignment. 145,000. And Gideon mustered a 32,000 man army because Gideon was leaning in to his own strategy. Because honestly, Gideon wanted to obey God. He was trying to obey God. And some of us are trying to obey God, but operating in our strategy. And God's saying, no, no, no. Uh, a divine strategy a su- uh, or a divine assignment, a, a supernatural assignment requires a supernatural strategy. So God's strategy is different than our strategy. God can use what you're going through right now, the burden the setback and all that to set you up. What what you and, and so instead of belly aching or complaining, we need to step back and, and ask the Lord, what lesson do I need to learn? I, I heard recently, and this is a true statement, but when we complain about life and different things like that, we're actually telling God He's doing a bad job. Oh. Step on my own toe a little bit. When we complain, that's what we're doing, though. And so what we, what we need to do is understand that God's strategy for our enemy, for what we're facing, for the oppression, for whatever is coming against us is different than how we would meet it. And I'm, I'm going to give you a, a few examples David and the Philistines, this is in 2 Samuel and in 1 Chronicles, but the Philistines were raiding Israel, and they kept going and attacking, kept going and attacking, and, and um, the Lord, this is in 1 Chronicles 14, 13 through 17, the Lord said to David, do not attack them straight on, God replied, instead circle around behind and attack near the poplar trees. When you hear the sound like marching feet or a marching army in the tops of the poplar trees, go out and attack. Does that not sound crazy? Does it not sound crazy? That will be the signal that God is moving ahead of you to strike down the Philistine army. So David did what God commanded. And they struck down the Philistine army all the way from Gibeon to Gezer. So let's talk about this. Another example, Joshua, chapter 6. But the Lord said to Joshua, I have given you Jericho. So Joshua is out there looking at Jericho. Jericho is such a big city. It has walls so fortified, it is said that chariots could race on top of them. And there was a wall, then there was kind of like a land moat that was really steep, and then there was another wall. It was a very fortified city. And, and there's no way that even if like, an army could put them under siege, but there is no way they were breaking through those walls. But the Lord, he said, you and your fighting men should march around the town once a day for six days. Seven priests will walk ahead of the ark, each carrying a ram's horn. On the seventh day, you are to march around the town seven times with the priest blowing the horns. 
When you hear the priest give one long blast of the ram's horns, you have all the people shout as loud as they can. Then the walls of the town will collapse and the people will charge straight into the town. I would invite you guys to walk around our church for six days. Just walk once around our church. And then on the seventh day, walk seven times around our church. And I'll, I'll get like, who has a trumpet? Does anyone have? We'll, we'll get some trumpets and we'll blow it and we'll shout. Because get this, like that would be an amazing story to tell our insurance. Um, but I could tell you, it would be also a great time to rebuild. Um, but guess what? Our church will still stand. But God's strategy is different than our strategy. It doesn't make sense. When God gave Joshua this, Joshua was surveying Jericho. He was trying to figure out how to attack Jericho, and God's like, I got you. Exodus 17. Moses tells Joshua to go fight Amalekites. And here's this, he said, okay, this is what you're going to do, Joshua. Go get the fighting men. You're going to go out and confront the Amalekites. Aaron, her, and myself are going to go up on this hill nearby where the battle's going to happen. And as you're fighting, I'm going to lift up the staff of the Lord. (laughs) And the Bible says that when Moses' arms fell, the Amalekites had the advantage, and the Israelites started losing. But as long as Moses held his arm with the staff in, the, in hand, the Israelites won. And so what did Aaron and Hur do that were with Moses? They built a seat for him out of stone, and they each got on each side of him and held his arms up. And he had to do that all day as the battle waged on, and the Lord brought victory because a man held his arms up. Because God told a man to hold his arms up. And my point is, God's strategy is different than ours. And this is consistent throughout the Bible. This is consistent throughout the whole Bible. So these are physical armies. These are the Gideons fighting a real army. So how, how does this how does this equate to something in our life? How does this equate? Because We're not fighting a physical army, but we are fighting a very real enemy. And the Bible says that we have weapons of warfare, and they're not not flesh weapons, but they have divine power to tear down strongholds. So we take captive every thought and pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. So just because we're not fighting a real army and we're making war against a real real army, a real opponent like that we can see physically, doesn't mean we don't fight. We do fight. So I guess the question that we need to answer today is when it comes to getting God's strategy, a winning strategy, how do we get it? How do we get God's strategy? Because God's strategy is different than ours. Number one, it works. How many of you guys have tried to do something in your own strength and it didn't work? And then you tried again, and it didn't work. And then you tried again. See, we have a church full of insane people. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm one of the definition of insanity is trying the same thing with expecting different results. But, but God's strategy works. And so I, I guess the question that I want to ask is, how do we get God's strategy? And that's the, that's the that's the answer because the weapons of our warfare are prayer, the word of God, prayer, the word of God, and worship. But how do we implement them? When I was, when I was in college, I don't know if you guys knew I played basketball. And every time we stepped out on the court, I had an opponent. 
And the coach, Coach Hansen, had a strategy against every opponent. And there was something that he would do. Because sometimes our opponents would be eating our lunch. We would be doing what we practiced. But there are times where a coach would be seeing the game from his perspective, which we can't see when we're out there. When we're out in the grind of it, when we're running up and down the court, we're trying to think about how to run and breathe and catch a ball and make a shot all at the same time and remember plays. And then there would be times where the gym would get so loud. Like we had what, what they called blackout nights. And so like the gym would be dead quiet until we hit like say 20 points. And when we hit 20 points, the stands would erupt and it would just be deafening. It would be so loud. And what we had to do was we had to train ourselves to hear Coach Hansen's voice amongst all the noise. So we actually had to drown out the noise to hear a specific instruction. Because sometimes Coach would yell a play, and, and, and Ben played for Coach Hansen as well, and he would yell something, and you had to do what he said. He would be like, I, I actually can't even remember a play that he would yell. Um, but he would, like, scream whatever. Like, you know, he would yell something. And, like, he had a very distinct voice. He would be like, it, Ryan. I mean, like, it was – and he would turn as red. I mean, he would turn so red. He would get so mad. Um, but he was a Christian coach, and he, he was, it was funny. It was really funny. And um, – but he would – but it would be so loud. And, and you had to hear – you had to train yourself to listen to his strategy in order to bring about victory. And there are times that it would be so loud in the gym that he would call a timeout, pull us all in, and speak. Like, Ryan, you need to do this. When this person happens, you need to, you know, whatever. And, um, and we would go out and do it. And it would, we would score or or. He would say, hey, you need to switch with that person. That guy's eating your lunch. You can't guard him. So switch people that you're guarding. And, and so we would switch, and then we would shut him down. And so, but we had to listen for the coach's voice. The Lord said to Gideon, Gideon did it. Gideon had to drown out all the noise, all the the doubt, like he was a man full of doubt. The whole time the Lord was talking to him in chapter 6, he was like, Lord, if you are telling me to do this, do, I mean, like, Lord, if this is really you, I'm going to throw out a fleece. Lord, like, don't be mad at me, but I need another fleece. But in chapter 7, we see a switch. Gideon's, I, no doubt, he probably still has those doubts. But suddenly, he's saying, this is real, I'm going to obey. I'm going to listen for the Lord's voice. If you want divine strategy, if you want supernatural strategy, we have got to hone our ears to hear. That means we have got to shut out things that will dumb down our ability to listen to God. Obviously, his main way of communication is the word of God. But maybe there are times where I'm walking and praying in here and the Lord says, go read whatever. And in, in those passing thoughts, it's not like he shows up and says it out loud, but it's like a passing thought, like he'll lay, lay like Colossians chapter 2, whatever. Just that scripture reference will go through my head, and I can ignore it. I'm like, oh, that was random. Oh, that's weird. Or I could say, wow, God just told me to do something. And I heard this this week, and it's so true. Every prompting of the Holy Spirit is an opportunity for obedience. So... When the Lord tells me to do that, I'm like, I open up the Bible. And I read it. And oftentimes, I sit there and go, oh, gosh, Lord, thank you. Like, it was exactly what I needed to hear. Other times, I'm like, God, how does this apply to my life? And like, you're going to cut off the legs of, you know, like, I'm, I'm, I don't know if there's a scripture that says that. But what I'm getting at is, I would rather be obedient and be wrong and step out in faith, then say, well, that clearly can't be God. You know what I'm saying? And, and, but we have to, 
We have to train our ears to hear. How do we get God's strategy? We train ourselves to listen. We heard Coach's voice so often. It was so distinct that no matter what was going on, we could train ourselves to hear. And he would, sometimes what he would do is he would sub us out. There was a game that we were playing against a college in Oklahoma. They were Barclay. They were in our division. And we were winning, but this guy that I was matched up against was just eating my lunch. It was this guy right here. Um, the guy that looks very unhappy that I'm about to score on him. He was eating my lunch the whole game. And I, he was bigger than me. He was taller than Pastor Ben. He was like 6'8 or so. And I was just having a hard time getting around him. He had more size than me. And all I could do was focus on his attributes and his strengths. I was having a hard time getting rebounds. I was having a hard time getting around him. I was having a hard time getting a position on him. And my strategy was to dig down deeper into what I knew, but it wasn't working because I was trying to play my enemy's game, my opponent's game. What he was doing against me, I was trying to do against him. So when it came to blocking out, you know, you get down, you use your butt, and we are pushing on one another. But the guy had like 30 pounds on me. And so he would push on me, and the best I could do was kind of hold him, but I couldn't move him. And so my coach subs me out in, in, in the kindest, most gentle way that Coach Hansen could speak. He's like, damn it, Ryan, that guy is eating your, you know, he's just going off on me. But he's like, what, 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 he, what he did, though, was he did speak life into me because he brought out my attributes that that guy didn't have. Because I was so focused on my enemy and his strengths that I forgot about my strengths. I mean, I'm 6'2". That guy was six inches taller than me. Like, he had a long... I mean, like, I couldn't shoot over him. Like, everything. And coach goes, Ryan, get to the middle of the lane and shoot sideways over him. He won't be able to block you because you could jump way higher than him. Also, Ryan, you're way faster than that guy. He's, he's as slow as molasses out there. And I was like, oh, my goodness. This whole time... I was playing his game, and suddenly, this is my best game in college. Um, in fact, it's, it's when I graduated, this was a, that was a picture that coach gave me on my plaque for um, playing college basketball. And that was my best game. I had like 20 points, a uh, ton of rebounds, but I had to play my way. But I didn't. I didn't get that strategy on my own. It had to come from my coach who I had to listen to and then do what he said. So suddenly what I started doing was this was the result of me catching the ball at the top of the three-point line and the guy coming out to guard me. So I drove to the right and he went this way like you're supposed to and I just spun around him. And I went down and then He's trying to block my shot, but then I ended up shooting a reverse layup on him. But I played to my strength because I was way faster than him. But you could turn that off now because I can't jump that high. It's kind of depressing, actually. <laughs> I can't jump that high. I can't run that fast. I can't do any of that anymore. But I had to listen to my coach and get his strategy for overcoming my enemy. If the assignment is from God, then only a strategy from God will accomplish it. Gideon had 32,000. God cut it to th God cut it by 31,700. 
God killed 120,000 of the Am- of the Midianite army. Gideon, if you, if you keep reading, Gideon still had to go fight. And someone needs to hear this today. I don't know who you are, but you're, you're waiting for God to do it all. God will do 99% of it. But you still have to fight. You need to fight for your purpose. You need to fight for your calling. You need to fight. My coach can give me all the strategy in the world, but it was up to me to go out and implement his strategy. Gideon heard the strategy. David heard the strategy. Moses heard the strategy. They still had to fight. Did God bring the victory? 100%. Will the fight get tiring? 100%. But just because, just because God says, I will bring victory, does not mean you don't have to fight. If you read the next chapter, Gideon is in chase of the Midianite kings, and him and his 300 are exhausted. They stayed up all night the night before, blowing their horns, screaming. The God's killing 120,000 of them, and, and then they start chasing. And God even brings down the numbers because of the other tribes. But Gideon comes to a town, and he says, My men, my 300 and I, are exhausted. Are exhausted. Can we get food and refreshment and they said no go <laughs> he said go go kill the Midianite kings and then we'll give you something and then so they chase them some more and they get to another town and they, they said we're exhausted we can't fight anymore we can't go on anymore can you can you give us some food some water and they said no go kill the Midianite kings and then we'll give you some and Gideon's taking notes he's like just FYI for all your city leaders I'm gonna beat you guys with briars when I come back that's what he tells them, and he does. One town, he like cuts all their heads off. It's crazy. Because um, God wants to take care of you, and he's not happy about people that take advantage of you, FYI. But the reality is Gideon had to fight. Gideon had to fight, even though God brought the victory. God's strategy is different than ours. He'll do 99% of the heavy lifting, he'll be holding the load, but he still leaves that 1% for you to go out and fight. But you're not fighting in your own strength. You're fighting in his. You're going out in his. We have an assignment called the Great Commission. And if you look at what's happening in the world today, You know, everyone's focusing on the Ukraine and Russia, and we need to be praying for these nations. We need to be praying for the people of Ukraine. We need to be praying for the people of Russia. War is not beautiful. We know that God is coming back soon, but there's wars and rumors of wars. There's rumors of wars between China and Taiwan right now. There's things going on all around the world, and we need to be praying. And what I'm getting at is God is coming back soon. And until he cracks open the eastern sky, we have an assignment. It's a supernatural assignment. And we have the weapons to accomplish it. Alan Hirsch is quoted as saying, God's church doesn't have a mission. God's mission has a church. God chooses to accomplish his mission through you. God God could have annihilated the Midianites 100%. God could have wiped them out 100% without Gideon. He didn't need Gideon. But God chooses to do things through his people. He chooses to reach the world through his church. God wants to use you, and you might feel like, I don't see how God can use me. I've done too much. I've ran too far. You're the perfect candidate. God called Gideon a mighty warrior before he ever swung a sword. 
In fact, he called him a mighty warrior while he was hiding from the enemy. He was threshing wheat in a wine press. He was tucked away hiding. But God spoke identity over him. God's speaking identity over you. And you're a perfect candidate for what God wants to do. And I, I believe that the church has a responsibility not only to share the gospel, but we have to go to war. We have to go to war in our prayer life. And I'm not just talking, now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord will smell my feet type of prayers. That's not how it goes, is it? No. I'm talking real warrior prayers. We have weapons to fight with. And guys, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read some prayers together with you. I actually have them available if you want a copy. And they're stronghold prayers. They're stronghold prayers. And you can tweak them however you want. And you might say, well, that's weird to read a prayer. Isn't that kind of religious, liturgical to read a prayer? I used to think that because I'm like, well, we're Pentecostal. You know, we, we make prayers up as we go. We listen to the Spirit. But we read the Bible. And almost a whole book of Psalms is a written prayer. There's written prayers throughout the Bible. And they're, they're there for a reason. I'm not saying that we get liturgical or anything like that, but this, I, I read these over my family because at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter if you read a prayer or say a prayer. It really matters what's in your heart. So you can read a prayer and not mean it, and it'll do nothing. Or you could give God lip service and say a prayer, comes out of your head, but not mean it. It's the same thing. But I want to give you something tangible. I want to give you a weapon to tear down strongholds, to come against an enemy. And, and I want us to read these together. And, and I believe, I believe that as we read them, I believe you're gonna feel something physically. You're gonna feel a shift in your spirit. You're gonna feel a shift in your mind and, and keep doing it. I've been reading these over my kids. I've been reading these over my family. Keep doing it. And so we're going we're gonna to throw them up. There's seven of them. And, and this is how I want us to respond. We're going to read these together. Lord, I thank you. Let, let's, let's go. Lord, I thank you that you are my light and my salvation. I thank you that you expose issues that you intend to address. I pray that I would not walk in darkness from what is affecting me in my bloodline. I pray that you would expose every hidden hindrance that the enemy intends to use to block my blessings and assassinate my assignment. Grant me the eyes to see and the wisdom to win over what the enemy wants to use to destroy my life. Thank you for calling me out of darkness into marvelous light in Jesus' name, amen. I've been praying that. Like, Lord, reveal things in my life. Reveal things in my life. Here's a good one. Forgiveness. How many of you, well, you don't have to show hands, but I'll, I'll ask a question. I want you to think. How many of us have ever had to deal with unforgiveness? Someone really hurt you, and you're, let's read it. Lord, I thank you for the grace to forgive. I understand that forgiveness is necessary for my healing, and I refuse to live broken. I pray that your Holy Spirit will empower me to pardon every offense, to overcome animosity, and release every grudge. I pray that the enemy will no longer torture me with memories of the pain of my past. Set me free to forgive others just as you have forgiven me. In Jesus' name, amen. Courage. Like, I don't need courage. Oh, I need courage, whether you do or not. Let's pray. Lord, I am aware that I can't fix what I won't face. I ask that you give me courage to face what I have ignored, overlooked, and refused to face. Give me the strength to walk in the path 
you have ordained for me. Grant me the grace to abandon old influences and walk away from whatever is keeping me from your best life. Give me the courage to move when I want to stay still. Continue when I want to quit and trust you when I can't trace you. You do not give me the spirit of fear, so I declare that I am not moved by what I see. I am moved by what you said. I will be strong and I will have courage to break all bloodline bondage in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm, thank you, Jesus. Let's go. Father, I believe that you are the only one that can heal me where I am really broken. I realize there are areas of my heart that need your touch. I ask that you will heal every broken place. Heal me where I have been betrayed. Heal me where I have been rejected. And heal me where I have been overlooked. Lord Jesus, please heal every generational wound that is affecting my soul. I pray that this cycle of generational pain would be broken. You have made me free, and I am free indeed. I thank you in advance for all that you are doing and going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Breakthrough. How many of you guys need breakthrough? I need breakthrough. I need breakthrough in my life. Let's pray. Father, your word declares that you are the Lord of the breakthrough. You can cause it, create it, and bring it to pass in my life. There are areas in my bloodline that have been plaguing my family for years, and I ask for breakthrough. I pray for a spiritual breakthrough relationally, financially, professionally, and physically. I pray that cycles would be broken, walls would come down, and freedom would be my portion. I am no longer stuck, no longer bound, and I am walking in your liberty. I thank you that breakthrough is coming to me. It is so and will not be otherwise. In Jesus' name, amen. How many of you guys need peace? The enemy's coming at you, robbing you peace, giving you anxiety, coming at you with depression, coming at you with all sorts of things. God's a God of peace. Let's go. Lord Jesus, you are the Prince of Peace. True peace is only found in you. I ask for peace to rule my heart and surround my mind. I realize that my healing brings my peace. I no longer want to dress my wounds. I want you to heal them so I can have peace. I pray that you would deliver me from mindsets, thought patterns, and strongholds that keep me in cycles of confusion and chaos. I pray that you would remove those individuals and issues from my life that are disturbing my peace. May peace be multiplied unto me in Jesus' name. Amen. Reversals. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you are the God of reversals. You take what the enemy meant for evil and work it for our good. I pray for reversals. Make me strong where I am weak. Give me clarity where I am confused. And give me joy where there is sorrow. I thank you for the blood of Jesus that establishes a new bloodline for me. I thank you that I am not no longer bound to the problems of my first birth but I have access to the promises available through my second birth. Turn things around for your glory and for my good. Reverse family trends, personal problems, and satanic strategies. May my life never be the same in Jesus' name. Mm. Come on. I believe... And I have copies of these if you want them. I believe that as we declare these things, we tweak these things, we pray these things over our family, our nation, that God is going to change. We pray these things over our city, that God is going to change. He's going to break strongholds that have plugged families. He's going to break 
when we stand in the gap because God's strategy is not our strategy. Our weapons are not worldly weapons. Our weapons are the word of God. Our weapons are prayer and our weapons are worship. I'm going to pray for you. And I'm going to believe that from this moment forward, that these things that have been addressed, we've exposed them. And I'm going to believe that we're going to start seeing things happen. Let this not be a one-time prayer, though. Let it be a continual thing. Let's, let's just not... <laughs> that's the thing about warfare. Sometimes you have to fight for a long time. Gideon fought for days. For days. Gideon stayed up all night fighting. Stayed up all day fighting. And I... And I and I believe that the Lord is, he has, he, number one, he has equipped our church. But we're, we're going to move into a, a season of harvest in our community. That God's going to bring people in that don't know him. But that also means that we're going to move into a season of warfare for our community. The harvest and warfare go hand in hand. Father, I pray for your church. Lord, I just speak peace over them. In the name of Jesus, I thank you that you are the God of the breakthrough. You're the God of reversals. You're the God of peace. You're the God of healing. You're the God of courage. You're the God of forgiveness. You're the God that exposes things in our life that you want to address. God, I thank you that your strategies are not our strategies. I pray right now for divine and supernatural strategies to be revealed to every person that is facing an enemy. That the enemy is coming against them in a real way and they're like, God, I don't know what to do. Like, this is what I want to do, but I know that's not how I need to address it. I want to over, whatever it is. Lord, I pray for supernatural strategy right now to be revealed into their hearts. Lord, to overcome the enemy that is in front of them and the enemy that's behind that enemy. In the name of Jesus, Lord, I pray that you will bless them and that you will keep them. Let your face shine on them, be gracious to them, turn your countenance towards them, and give them peace. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray, amen, amen, and amen. I love you guys.